I'm Chris. I'm alcoholic. My sobriety day is August 16, 2002. I have a home group. Uh, this is it. I have a sponsor. It's Isaac. He's here somewhere judging me, watching, judging, <laughs> waiting. So, um, and I'm grateful to be here. And I'm grateful to be sober. And it's an honor anytime I'm asked to speak at my home group. You know, this place has saved my life over and over and over again. The people in it, uh, the things that we do, um, just have saved my life. And, uh, I, you know, there's so many people here tonight that have had an impact on my sobriety. And there's no way that I, I would have made it without these people in my life. And, uh, and so if you're new tonight, I hope you, you know, and congratulations to everybody who picked up chips. And, you know, I hope you stay here and, um, and figure out, you know, why anyway, you know, why someone like me would want to stay sober for 11 years, you know, why, why I would continue to do the kind of things that I do on a daily basis to ensure my sobriety. And, uh, and you know, it, the, the, the evidence is clear because it gives, you know, the, being involved in a home group in, in Alcoholics Anonymous has changed my life and everything good and decent in it is a result of that, that work and that effort here in Alcoholics Anonymous. So. Um, congratulations, Jason. Thanks, David. And uh, I don't have funny stories about Alex, but I do have a funny story about David. So <laughs> I, will t I will tell it, you know. So I was down in Baton Rouge. I had to speak at this YPA, Circuit Pa event thing. And, um, and I get down there. Jerry went with me. We, we roll into this hotel. And nice place, nice hotel. I mean, for like a Circuit Pa event, I mean, it was nice, you know. And... Um, and we're sort of walking in the lobby and there's this pool out there and there's all these, you know, it's a young people's event, all these people out there at the pool hanging out and I see Bruce and I'm like, dude, that's Bruce. You know, what's Bruce doing here? And, you know, he's like all like cut up because he's buff, you know what I mean? He's like real smooth talking to all the ladies and everything. And, and then out of the corner of my eye, I see this like white blur, like. <laughs> it's got like, He's like double fisting sugar-free Red Bull, just like, you know what I mean? Like straight running for the pool, you know what I mean? And I was like, that's David. I think later on that night, we, I saw them both in bathrobes. I don't know what that was all about. Just like walking around in bathrobes. So. But Alex, congratulations, I love you. And uh, I love all the guys that, that you know, allow me to help them. And uh, it truly is, um, I, you know, I think it's the ultimate payoff, really, in Alcoholics Anonymous, is that, you know, you, you get here through a series of circumstances, you know, people say that your first year is a gift, and I think the only reason they say that is because year two is terrible. It's terrible, you know. You are really sober, you know, and you cannot get away with anything, you know. I mean, you can, but you're going to pay a price for it, you know. And uh, so I'm, 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 you know, I'm grateful that, uh, you know, it took you eight years to get one year. And uh, I mean, I guess that's funny, you know, but not really. It, it's not. And uh, you're, you're, you should be grateful that your family is in your life and they're st still willing to support you, you know. And, um, you know, Alex, you know, came into AA and he was on fire right out of the gate, you know. And he dove right in, did a, 
did a fourth and fifth step with me, did an eighth step, started reestablishing relationships with his family, started paying back some amends, squared things up with his father, you know, in terms of finances. Then he got into a relationship, and all progress in AA came to a screeching halt like traffic on 495. <laughs> <laughs> Done. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so over the last couple months, I mean, he struggled, you know, and he's had drinking thoughts and, you know, I've been there. I know what it's like. And, uh, but for me, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you know, it's not like a linear thing, you know, it's not like I came into AA and then it was just like, you know, I was shooting for the stars like a rocket ship, you know what I mean? And uh, there's ups and downs and life happens and, you know, my commitment here has varied from times to times. And AA has always seemed to me to be a series of recommitments, you know. Sometimes it's day by day, sometimes it's week by week, sometimes it's, you know, every four months or six months. And, um, you know, because I, I, you know, it seems simple what's asked of you, but what makes it difficult is my selfishness, you know. Because I always want to do what I want to do, you know. And when you're, you know, you're busy in AA and you're working with newcomers, they are, it's, they're going to require your time and attention. And that's the one thing I've never, I've always had a hard time giving up, you know, because I value it, you know. And, um, but it's the only thing that works, you know. It's the only thing that works. It's the only thing that I found to get me out of myself enough that I can sort of let life happen and I don't have to micromanage it. I don't have to get involved in it. I don't have to, most importantly, I don't have to screw it up, you know. And um, so... I hope that you continue the progress and, you know, year two is not going to be a cakewalk. And I hope you get busy, busy, busy in AA and do everything that's asked of you, you know. And that's what I try to do, you know, with my sponsor. I try to do everything that's asked of me to the best of my ability, you know. And um, so it's my job to tell you guys in a general way what I used to be like, what happened to me, and what I'm like today. And, uh, and I'm not going to go through my whole drunk log um, but I will tell you a couple stories about, you know, my relationship with alcohol. And, um, and I don't think that, um, you know, this is all hindsight looking back. You know, I didn't have any of this, you know, I wasn't aware of any of this until I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and I was taken through some of the steps and I understood what alcoholism was. And, uh, and I'm a guy who always, you know, I was always wound up, you know, always wound tight. And, uh, I spent most of my, you know, career in school in the principal's office. That's the kind of guy I was, you know. More days, more often than not, I was in the principal's office. The principal was in direct communication with, you know, my mom. You know what I mean? Like, they were communicating on a daily basis, you know. And that's the way it always was. And I was always in trouble. And, um, and it seemed to be exciting to me at times, you know. Um, and I had a hard time sitting still, and I always wanted to be the center of attention. And, uh, but I was always like, I always had this feeling like, like wherever I was, there was something better going on somewhere else, and I wanted to be involved in it, you know. And sometimes I didn't even know what that was, but I just never felt right, right where I was, you know. I was always looking for that something else. And in um, my first drink, um, you know, my first drunk, I would say, is the one I remember. And, uh, I mean, it was, you know, it was monumental, 
I mean, it, it, and it's like you don't really know, at least for me, my experience is I didn't really know how wound up I was or how tight I was until I got some sort of relief that came from alcohol, you know? There was no way I would know that. You know, you just look around and you just judge how you're doing by the way other people look, you know? And I always felt like I was different, you know? And some people say they, they felt different like they did not get the rule book to life. I felt like I was different in another way, like I had the rule book to life and you guys did not, you know what I mean? You know? And I sort of, sort of reveled in that sort of, you know, I, you know, I'm different in that way, you know what I mean? That I know what's up, you guys don't really know what's up. I know what's cool, you guys don't know what's cool. You know, skipping school, getting in trouble, that's cool. Studying, not cool, you know what I mean? And that's why I never graduated college. I barely graduated high school, actually. So I don't know who's cool. Probably not me. But so, you know, that's, I mean, that's how I felt. And, uh, and drinking relieved all that instantly. I mean, instantly. And I think I was like three or four drinks in. Uh, I was in this club. I was playing pool. I was, in, you know, I was really high strung. There was money on the table. And I had to win. You know, that's, that's how I felt before, I, before I, the alcohol hit me. And, um, and once, it, once it went down, once I felt it, you know, th things started to change right before my eyes, you know. I wasn't so concerned about where I was or what I was doing. I wasn't so concerned about winning, which is huge for a guy like me. You know, I actually could relax and just, you know, play pool and just chill, you know what I mean? And I actually felt like I saw other people look, you know. And that was an amazing experience for me. And, uh, and I got to tell you, I mean, I, you know, I think alcohol does that for a lot of people, you know. I think it can. And, uh, but what makes, my, what makes it different for me is the lengths that in which I went to to get that feeling, you know. What I was willing to sacrifice as the years would go by to feel that way. And, um, and that's what separates me, you know, is that it really doesn't matter. There, there, there's no amount of, of, of trouble that I can get in. There's no amount of love for my family. There's no, no amount of, um, you know, there's nothing that a therapist is going to say that's going to move me in a different direction one way or the other. You know, having that feeling, that feeling that alcohol gave me every time was paramount. And, you know, it was the most important thing to me, you know. And I didn't, you know, I drank for about 11, 12 years. And, uh, it, you know, I had a lot of fun drinking, you know. I mean, literally from my 20s, um, I, just, I just partied, you know, nonstop. I just partied all the time. And, um, and the first couple of years, it was not, there was no consequences, really, because it seemed like my drinking was a lot like everybody else's. And, uh, and you, know, a, you know, and I'll fast forward a little bit, and a typical weekend for me sort of halfway through my drinking was, you know, I, I would get off work, I would, you know, go to a 7-Eleven, I'd get a big gulp, and I'd fill it up with ice and a little bit of soda. I'd go right to the liquor store in Kensington that's still there, you know, right next to Donut King, you know what I mean? And I would go in there and buy a couple bottles, you know. And I wouldn't wait till I got home or anything like that. I would just open that thing up and, and just fill up that super big gulp cup right there in the car. I mean, I, I'm, I, I don't want to wait, you know what I mean? And sometimes, you know, if, you, if drinking did for you the, what it did for me, sometimes I would feel better just knowing I had it, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't necessarily have to drink it. 
I just felt better knowing that it was about, you know, like we were about ready to get this thing started, you know what I mean? And, um, and I felt better immediately. And this, you know, and I would fill that thing up and, you know, and that's the drink that would sort of get me home, get me into the shower, get me, you know, the primer drink. And uh, I'd get on the phone with my buddies. I would find out what we're doing that night, you know, what we're doing the weekend. And, you know, I, at this point, halfway through my drinking already, you know, I don't, I don't make a plan for the night. I make a plan for a few days, you know what I mean? Because I need to know where I'm going to be, you know what I mean? Like, what's the situation? Because I need to know where I can pass out, you know, where we're going to do lines of cocaine later on in the night, you know what I mean? Where, you know, I need to know this stuff, you know? And, um, and it's around this time that I think I saw a difference in my drinking comparative to the people I was hanging out with, at least some of them, you know? And we would go out, we'd go downtown, we usually start off in Bethesda drinking at a bar where we knew the bartender so we could drink for free or cheap or in trade, you know, and, um, and then we would go downtown where the drinks were, you know, I mean, back then they were like $7 for like, like a one-shot drink. I mean, it was ridiculous, you know what I mean? There's probably twice as much now, but, um, and, uh, you know, we would go to these clubs and we would hang out and, um, you know, there's all that that goes with going to clubs, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't know how many people, I mean, I'm sure plenty of people drink in bars or clubs, and there's a point in the night where you stop drinking, and it's called last call, you know what I mean? <laughs> and and this, is, this is for, like, normal drinkers, you know what I mean? It's like, even normal drinkers, the people I was hanging out with, they would last call, boom, you know what I mean? Last call, they would go to the bar, they would get, maybe they were double fisting, right? But when we walked out of the club, they went home. You know what I mean? They were like, oh man, I gotta go, you know, I gotta, you know, Saturday, I gotta go to Bed Bath & Beyond with the wife or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I don't know, like go mow the lawn or walk the dog, whatever normal people do. And, um, and that's not what I was doing, you know? I wasn't interested in that. And, uh, and for me, you know, there was always somewhere else to go, and the party just kept going. And, uh, and, th and this is the way my drinking was, you know? And um, towards the end, it was every day like this. And, you know, I became unemployable. Uh, you know, I couldn't hold down a job. And, you know, I, the relationships in my life seemed like they were very superficial. Uh, I lived most of my life between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. I slept most days, you know? I sold drugs to make money and, you know, because, I, you, know, I, you know, unemployment ran out and I certainly wasn't going to, like, get a job or anything like that, you know. So, I mean, these, this is where, what my life was reduced to. And um, I got in a lot of trouble, you know. And uh, actually, I was just in court a couple times last week for Matt over there, you know what I mean. And, uh, <laughs> and I was reminded, dude, you know, those benches in courtrooms are terrible you know you just like sit there you, even though I knew I mean I'm not on trial and I'm you know I mean I'm not going to jail you know what I'm saying I just felt like I could though at any moment that's how <laughs> that's how uncomfortable those courtroom benches are and um, you know and Matt's not a good criminal man you should not sell drugs man at all he got, he'll tell you the story, but I'll tell some of it, because, I don't know, why not? <laughs> he got caught, like, like, he was, like, in his car, and he had all these drugs, and he just, like, he just, like, froze, you know what I mean? There was no high-speed chase, he didn't get out and run. The cops just came up to the window, and they were like, hey, man, 
what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> like the easiest bust, you know what I mean, ever. You know, like, ah, oh, this guy's just waiting for us. They could have been like, don't go anywhere. We're going to eat some donuts. We'll be right back. He'd be like, okay. <laughs> so bad, dude. Please stay sober. Yeah. Anyway. So, you know, I mean, it, you know, that's how I was living. And I got in trouble. I got federally indicted. And, you know, it was a little different situation than Matt. I mean, you know, they definitely came to me. And, uh, but, uh, you know, they knocked on my front door, but they did not wait for me to answer. And, uh, and it was, you know, jump out squad, you know, raided my house. And uh, it was a nightmare, dude. You know, it was a nightmare. And, uh, you know, I remember when I bonded out, and, uh, you know, I, bond I bonded out, and my friend met me, and he was like, what do you want to do, man? And I was like, you know, we got to go get a drink. You know what I mean? And, and I knew, like, this is a bad idea, you know? It's probably not a good idea. And, you know, the second step talks about, you know, this insanity. And, and that's the thing that I have, you know? It's like, it doesn't matter how bad it is or how bad it was or how bad it's going to be, you know? I can convince myself anytime, anywhere that a drink is a good idea. And, um, and that's true today, you know? Just because, you know, based on these actions I've taken and Alcoholics Anonymous for a period of time have sort of re restored me to sanity in that regard, it doesn't mean that it can't come back, you know? And it's easy, it's easy in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's so easy because all you gotta do is nothing. Don't go to meetings. Don't pick someone up. Don't answer the phone, you know? Don't say yes to that service commitment. It's so easy, and people just back out of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know? Lots of one-month chips tonight. Lots of two-month chips. Lots of three-month chips. Lots of six-month chips. Couple nine-month chips. Maybe one or two one-years. And that's it, you know? Because it's easy. It's easy. And, I, and I'm, I'm a fan of doing nothing. I've been trying to monetize it, you know what I mean? <laughs> I've, I've tried to build, build my whole life around making money doing nothing. And I'm t let me tell you something, it's not working. It's not working at all, you know? So I understand doing nothing, but in, in regards to Alcoholics Anonymous, it's deadly, you know? And, um, and so that is, you know, that's what happened to me. And, and, you know, to make a long story short, I eventually ended up getting locked up for a period of time. And, uh, and I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, you know, I... I didn't understand what an alcoholic was. You know, I had these, all these preconceived notions of what it meant to be an alcoholic or, you know, what that looked like. And, but the truth is, I had no idea. I mean, I, you know, I just thought AA was, like, lame. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when we were drinking and people would get, you know, get in trouble, you know, whatever. They would get arrested. But it was never as bad as someone saying they went to AA. You know what I mean? Because you'd just be like, whoa, AA. You just felt so bad for them. And, uh, you know, and they're like, dude, do you want a drink, you know, or whatever? And, uh, and so, I, you know, I thought, I didn't, know, I didn't know what to think. And I was court-ordered to AA, and I went to some meetings. And, um, and what I saw didn't seem, you know, what I saw in the meetings, it didn't seem like those people had what I had. 
you know? Because what I saw was people not drinking and they were generally happy, you know? Sometimes they were way too happy, you know? Like, totally excited, like, hey man, what's going on? What's your name? You got a number, you know? And it's like, it, you know, drove me insane. And um, because when I wasn't drinking, I wasn't happy, you know? And so I didn't, you know, I felt like whatever was wrong with them was not wrong with me. And, uh, and I tried to give it another go, you know, and, uh, and it ended me up and getting locked up, like I said, for, for a period of time. And here, here I am, and I've got no other options, you know. And, and for me, at least for me, I had to play out every option, you know. And if you're here tonight, you're new, and you've got some ideas, you know, like, you're like, mm, maybe AA, you know, these people are kind of nice, you know, I got a ride in the meeting, they give me cigarettes. But you're thinking in the back of your head, like, maybe I can control and enjoy my drinking. It's my experience that you're probably going to test those waters, you know. I did. I had to play out every single option until I was absolutely sure that on my own willpower, just like it says in the third step, I cannot control my drinking. I cannot, not only can I not control my drinking, but I have no control really over my life. I'm totally unmanageable. And, uh, and so, you know, people brought in meetings and, uh, you know, there was a guy there that reached out to me and, you know, and he said, he said, I hope you're used to this place because you'll probably be spending more time here, you know. And I thought about that for a while. And, and, and while I was there, I was offended that he would talk to me that way. But when I, when I went back to my cell that night and slept on it, you know, I thought about what he said. And, uh, and the truth is, is when I got, when I, when I was first locked up and uh, I was there for about six months and I couldn't go to sleep because, you know, the, they leave the lights on, you, you know, the doors are slamming, the sound of keys are jingling, you know. I mean, it's terrible, you know. It's absolutely terrible, you know. And, and at that moment when that guy said that to me, and I went back to, to, to my cell and I went right to bed, you know, I knew what he was saying was true because I had already gotten used to the place, you know. I had already, I had already adapted to the kind of environment that I was living in. And, you know, people, you call yourselves, you know, home, let's go home, go to bed, you know what I mean? And this kind of attitude, you know, this, this, this attitude towards you know, how we can just, our minds just change, you know? It's like, this is no big deal, you know? Here I am incarcerated, my family that loves me, you know, they're coming to visit me, talking to me through a, you know, glass fucking, you know, wall. I mean, that's not right, you know? But I had already become used to it. And so it scared me. It scared me enough that I was willing to, you know, listen to this guy and, and read some of the book. And, uh, and when I got out of there, I was terrified, you know? I didn't know what, what I was gonna do. And, um, I don't count the time I was incarcerated, you know, because the, the day I got out, you know, I, I, I was in this halfway house, this pre-release center, and I met my sponsor there. And, um, and I would go out and go out to meetings and, you know, I was taking public transportation and I just felt so crazy, you know. I, I, it was hard for me to get on trains that were really crowded, so I would walk to the other end and get on a train, you know, I'd walk all the way to the end of the... Uh, metro stop and get on a train that wasn't crowded because I couldn't stand to be around people, you know. The, the, the immediately, immediately getting out, the worldly pressure started coming down on me, you know. These bill collectors, I owe all this money, you know, here's my family, I got to see them now, I got to look them in the eye now, and they're going to know, you know what I mean? I just couldn't take it, you know. And when you're incarcerated, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff, you know. 
They just feed you three times a day like animals, you know what I mean? And you just play spades all day, you know what I mean? I mean, it's not a whole lot of pressure, you know? I mean, do what do we want? Do we want Channel 5 or Channel 20? I mean, it's like not, you know what I mean? Not a whole lot of decisions to be made. And, um, and so I was losing my mind, you know? I was losing my mind. And, and I needed that sponsor because the truth is, is that I had no idea, even though I was 29 years old, you know, I had done some things, you know, while I was drinking, you know, I had owned a business, you know, I had done some things with my life, you know, even though all that had taken place, I was 29 years old, and the truth was I had no idea how to live life. I mean, I had no idea, you know, no idea. And, you know, I had always, you know, I'm a guy that has always run my life based on my own selfish agenda, you know. I have this agenda, me first, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to get what I need, you know? And in that selfish pursuit, that agenda, I tear down my life, and I tear down everyone's life around me. And, uh, and in AA, you know, and drinking makes that possible. It isn't the cause of it, but it helps it, you know? Because I'm selfish without drinking, you know? And coming in in my first couple months sober, having not done any steps, I'm essentially the same person, you know? That's what I realized, you know? And my alcoholism is not something, you know, yeah, there was these funny stories and I did all this stuff while I was drinking, but that's not really what's wrong with me. What's wrong with me is how I feel while I'm not drinking. I'm restless, I'm irritable, I'm, I'm discontented. You know, I can't seem to make my way in this world that's full of people. I can't get along with people. I can't have real relationships with anybody, you know. I always got to keep people at a distance because it's safer, you know. And, you know, first couple months, you know, I mean, it's just terrible, you know. And I was looking at people around me, you know, people I'd grown up with, and they seemed like they had their, you know, stuff together. And I come into AA, and there's people like half my age, you know, with their stuff together, you know what I mean? It was, I mean, I'm getting in the backseat of cars with like 16-year-olds driving me around, you know what I mean? It's terrible. It's terrible, you know. They're like, man, you got to get in the back seat. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> what did this guy just say to me? You know? But I got in the back seat, you know what I mean? Because I got two months, you know what I mean? Whatever. I mean, it was awful. I'm not going to lie. It was awful. And, um, but I dove in, man, and I got involved in this, you know. Midtown became my home group because that's what was my sponsor's home group. I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, there's a lot of things to worry about when you're new and home groups not one of them, you know what I mean? I just picked it. I was like, all right, man, that sounds good. You know what I mean? Let's get on with living, you know? <laughs> I got to make some money, <laughs> you know what I mean? I need some new tennis shoes and turntables because I got to look cool. And uh, I bought these turntables one time when I was new. And I didn't have a car or nothing, no insurance, no license. I didn't even have a license. And, but I had turntables. And, um, <laughs> And I walked in, like my sponsor was eating with all these people at the time, like the grand, my grand sponsor, Sean, Arno, they were all just like sitting around this table eating, you know, laughing at me. And, um, and my sponsor turns to me, looks at me, he's like, hey, why don't you get two more turntables, put a piece of plywood uh, in between them, and you can drive that to work. <laughs> I was like, damn, dude, can't catch a break from this guy, never. I, you know, it's all love, right? It's all love. And, uh, 
you know, I mean, I muddled through my first year. I muddled through. I did a fourth and fifth step. And uh, I did an eighth step pretty quick. And, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't comprehend really six and seven, but I couldn't understand an eighth step, you know. And an eighth step was like an outline of the way I needed to change, essentially, you know. I had a list of these, person, these people I've harmed. And six and seven, really, I became willing to make amends to them because in that time, you know, I knew where I needed to change. I knew that I needed to be a son to my mother. I knew I needed to be a brother to my sisters. I knew I needed to pay back these creditors, you know, and stop buying stuff, you know, that I think I need so I can feel good for a few minutes, you know. And I really dug in and I, and I tried to make these amends. I remember I paid off this, like, credit card. It was like 50 bucks, man. 50 bucks. That was the, that was the credit card. That's what I owed on it, you know what I mean? And, like, defaulted, it's like seven years ago. And um, I remember paying that 50 bucks and you would have thought I won the lottery. I felt so good, you know what I mean? I was like, yes, $50, you know what I mean? Normal people must think we're crazy. They must think we're crazy. And, um, but I, you know, it really motivated me to finish the, you know, paying off my amends. And, uh, and in that period of time, I, you know, something, something changed, you know, and I was hanging out with my other pigeon brothers, and I learned how to sponsor people by helping the guys that came behind me and my pigeon family. You know, I had no idea, you know. Isaac would be go out, like, go help this guy, go help this guy. And, you know, and, you know, Justin would come over to the house, I would make him pancakes in the morning, he'd be like crying about something, I don't know, you know what I mean? I don't know, you know, and I'd make him pancakes, and, you know, he loved pancakes. Still loves pancakes. I built him a room in my new house, actually, you know, just for him. He's not grateful. His dog pisses all over my floors all the time. <laughs> unbearable. Totally unbearable. I can't kick him out, though, you know what I mean? I mean, I can't. So, I tell you what, I, I, I don't have time to go into all the amends, but, um, I mean, something really happened. Something, something happened to me. And, uh, you know, I felt a little freer after making those amends. I felt like I had some mental and emotional bandwidth for other people in my life, you know. I felt like I didn't want to hurt people anymore, you know. When you go and make amends and you look at people, like, directly into their eyes when you're talking to them, I mean, you understand the kind of havoc you cause people at a new level, you know. And I think it's, it's impossible to grow spiritually here without that process. Impossible, you know. And, uh, and even though it was hard, I, you know, I, I made all those amends to the best of my ability. And I don't think it's a one-and-done deal. I think every day I'm still trying to make those amends. I'm still trying to be a son. I'm still trying to be a brother to my, you know, sisters. And I'm still trying to live by principle in all my affairs. And, you know, but, but you know, my life has gotten good. You know what I mean? And uh, it's my turn to give it back. It's my turn to give it back. And over the last couple months, I've been I, just hanging out with new guys, you know? That's all I do, is I hang out with people under a year. I mean, under a month, you know what I mean? And that, to me, is where it is, you know? That's where, you know, the happy joy, joyousness and the freeness comes from, you know? Is, is seeing these guys their troubles and watching them change in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, because I, you know, I, I just can't see it myself, you know. And uh, so it, it's always an honor, you know, to be asked to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you, Alex, for asking me. And uh, 
I hope you have many, many more. So thanks, guys.